0: This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. And hello, SPMers. Yes, we know it's Monday, but it's a particularly interesting Monday, I think you'll all agree, because it follows a Sunday during which almost everyone with a platform on which to do so voiced their significant fury at a European Super League revealed by the likes of Rory's colleague Tariq Panja and then confirmed in the very late evening by those 12 clubs who have signed up. So given that everyone else has had a go, we thought we'd bring you a mercifully brief bonus pod to try in a way that is hopefully becoming something of a non-trademarkable trademark. Plot a nuanced path through the torrent of outrage. I'm Hugh Ferris, Rory Smith from the New York Times and Stephen Wyeth from Match of the Day and BT Sport are with me. Andy Hinchcliffe unfortunately is otherwise engaged this morning, Uh, whether or not it's because he's uh, locked in talks with Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund PSG is something on which we cannot comment. Um, So the next 15 minutes or so will probably give you uh, enough to launch into a feverish yet informed argument with somebody else sometime soon on the European Super League. Now, We're pretty sure you'll know the clubs already but the format's been announced as being those 12 founder members plus three and then five more who qualify based on league performance in the previous year it'll start in august of a year described as as soon as practicable and involves two groups of 10 and then a playoff bracket or knockout stage depending on how much you like those plans to actually sound like the revamped champions league idea uh, that was mooted for today it therefore leads us to our first question is this the next play in a game of brinkmanship with UEFA or is it actually real this time? It's real. This
1: one's <laughs> real. It's... it's um, there, is, there is more brinkmanship to come, I think, but the, the, they've got a website. What, how, how much more real does it get? When, when we got married, it was, the, it was the moment that we created the wedding website that it really started to feel like it was going to happen. It's, the, it's like the Squarespace hypothesis that once you have a website, it's real. No, they, they, they mean it. They are... The, particularly the... Um, the kind of ones that have driven it the most, which would be Real, Juve, United, and Liverpool, are committed to it. They've they've already filed legal papers. Ed Woodward and Andrea Agnelli, at least, and possibly the others, have resigned from the European Clubs Association. I think they've they've resigned from UEFA. Um, Agnelli certainly has, yeah. Yeah, it's it's real. It's the, the idea of the Super League itself is not an act of brinkmanship. They're not doing it to get more control of the Champions League. They're doing it so they can have a Super League.
0: It's so real that Manchester City, in carrying the statement last night. Uh, included the quote with it from within it from Joel Glazer who is the new uh, vice chairman of the European Super League and of course the Manchester United chairman I cannot think of an example another example where the Manchester City website has carried a quote <laughs> without sarcasm from a Manchester United administrator so that's that's how serious it is
2: I thought it was real last night and then when I woke up this morning and saw the logo which I would suggest is both inferior in creation and fonts to the website for Rory and Kate's wedding <laughs> it suddenly made me recalibrate and think well hang on a second that doesn't look as serious it doesn't visually look as serious as it sounds with words on the page
1: yeah I know what you mean I mean I'm, I'm loath to kind of
2: it's like a school, high school it, art project front cover
1: it's a little bit MS paint if we're all completely honest the i don't think that should detract from the seriousness of it the fact that it's well maybe the fact that the logo is badly designed is 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 a fitting reflection of the plan itself
0: <laughs> it's it's hard to find good logos these days but the, the uefa are very much those it would appear most in the the firing line for this european super league we must say and there was a lot of uh, a lot of comment yesterday about the idea that it would be replacing the Premier League. It will only replace the Premier League or it will only not run concurrent to the Premier League if the Premier League throw these clubs out, these six clubs that are involved. So the Premier League, were they to relent and allow those clubs to join the European Super League, which they don't give any impression of doing at the moment, that would allow the two to coexist. So it's very much not necessarily the Premier League that are being threatened, at least in the Inception of this by those six clubs. It is UEFA. They want to replace the Champions League. That is the thing that would no longer exist in their minds.
1: Yeah. So, I, had, I I had to write a piece on this last night, which which I did. Although it's not really good. Although there is a skill in producing just producing something you've got a deadline. I think that's an, that's an undervalued skill in journalism. Um, here are some words. They all make sense. They are all spelled correctly. the the um the the, the idea of like a cogent argument was missing. So this is where the, the the two things are. This is where the brinkmanship comes in. So they still have to face down UEFA and the national associations and the leagues that they are currently part of. They have filed legal papers of some sort that are designed in some way to to make it clear that they believe it would be illegal for them to be thrown out of their domestic competitions. The brinkmanship now is it's really easy for us to sit here and say, the Premier League should just throw them out. Should they really? Should should the Premier League that's got three three and a half billion quid's worth of TV deals get rid of its of its six biggest draws? No, it shouldn't. That'd be a stupid idea. That'd be a really a really genuinely dumb thing to do. And that is to a large extent what the what the twelve are counting on. Ditto in La Liga and Serie. A, Obviously, should FIFA ban the players? Well, no, because it would mean that the World Cup doesn't have. Twelve by twenty-five of the world's best. I don't know how many that is. Three hundred of the world's best.
0: We, we, yes, we? we did. We did. Yes, we did. it yeah. didn't look great, and, it, and our yeah. maths wasn't great prior to it either.
1: You know, we know what that looks like. We have we've we've plotted that out for you. That's the sort of public service element of the set piece menu. So that's not. To be honest, it's not in FIFA's interest to say we didn't we not have a 2022 World Cup in Qatar. You know, there'd be no Lionel Messi. There'd be no Mohamed Salah. There'd be no Kevin De Bruyne. FIFA would suffer too. They also have TV contracts that, that are the source of their wealth. So the brinkmanship basically now flips and it's can do UEFA and the leads and the associations, do they have the guts to to go through with this? Despite the fact that to some extent it would be it would be cutting their nose off to spite their face in certain ways, that they you know, that they have stuff to lose. It's not as simple as fans saying, and I understand why fans are doing that, I'm not criticizing them for doing it, as fans saying get rid of them, get rid of them. I, I personally have a bit of a problem with the idea that that we'd all, you know, you'd, you'd lose the twelve, and then suddenly we'd all just we'd all just watch the Premier League, and it'd be ruddy bloody brilliant. I don't I don't think that's how it works. To be perfectly honest, I think you can't just pretend they don't exist. In the same way as the green and gold protests at Old Trafford in what 2005 were incredibly well intentioned, really sort of visually powerful, and they went off and set up their own team. But do you know what? Actually, quite a lot of people have got decades of affection for Manchester United, and it, it's kind of hard to just switch that off. Like that, that's. We, fans are human ultimately and we've been conditioned to, to you know, to have affection for clubs
2: I agree with Rory in terms of you, you can't currently live with them in terms of the majority's reaction to this concept but yeah further down the line you can't live without them although the issue is the lack of competitive integrity to these proposals I know it's not an entirely closed shot they're talking about 12 plus 3 others plus 5 spaces to be awarded annually on sporting merit But it does seem to me as though it's going to be very difficult to exist across the divide when one of the competitions you're playing in is effectively a closed shop. I'm sure the clubs believe that they are capable of doing that. But if you're playing in a European Super League from which you cannot be relegated and also playing in a domestic structure which retains the traditional jeopardy and the the process of promotion and relegation i'm struggling with how those two things coexist
1: well the other thing is that obviously the money available to the clubs who are who are permanently in super league would totally distort domestic competition so if you have access to three and a half billion quid a year or whatever it is meant to be three you know 300 million pounds for every single member every single year that is going to mean that you have an unmitigated massive insurmountable advantage over over your you, the, the, a domestic competition where the other teams don't have access to that money, so I think that the, that's the second, that's the, maybe the second sort of consequence of it is that it's not easy for the leads to throw them out, and it's not easy for FIFA to say you can't do this, you can't do that. But equally, in doing it, it would destroy the national competitions. The flip side is that I th- and Hugh's right to make the point that it replaces the Champions League. I don't think anyone thinks that. Certainly, the the, the mooted. Changes to the Champions League are perfect. I don't, I don't think there's any great groundswell of opinion that they're, that they're in the best interest of the competition. That there are a handful of teams who are effectively unrelegatable from the Champions League anyway. So, I, the one thing that kind of gives me pause, my, my overall reaction, and this is why I found it hard to write last night, was that my, my overall reaction. To be honest, I'm not against the idea of a pan continental league. I, I think I like cross border leads in, in principle. I, I think it would work brilliantly in Scandinavia. I think it would work really well in, in, in the Benelux. I think that's part of the way that you can redress the balance. The issue of competitive balance between leads is by making the smaller leads, joining them together and making them bigger. And I think that overall would be a net a net benefit for football. I think a a pan continental pan lead in Africa would work really well if it was done right. So I don't object, don't necessarily object to the principle. What I object to is what Steve said highlights which is the fact that if you break the link between success that ha- sit- between effort and reward if you if you say that success does not have to be earned anymore that it is just it is a status that has been preordained and is unchanging then you are doing something fundamental to the to the fabric of sports as a whole and I know that doesn't stack up with not just the American sports but stuff like f1 and even to an extent like certain forms of rugby are, are based on a franchise model. Like, it's, I, I think it's really important that we don't think that football is, that this is the only, that football's model of sport is the only model of sport that's justifiable. But I think the, the bit, and this is what the conclusion I eventually came to through racking my brains last night, is that football's success as a global phenomenon, the money that they want to capitalise on, the popularity they want to capitalise on, is based on success of football's model for 120 years, which is yeah. not built on... The, the, the big clubs are the ones that, that generate all the cash now, but they, they can only generate that cash because of the work done by hundreds of clubs over, yes. the last, over the last century. They are effectively saying, right, at this point, history stops, we take the rewards, we take the prize. And I, I on, on some kind of deep-seated, like genealogical level, I have a problem with that.
2: Uh, and that's what's grubby about it, is that they're drawing a line in the sand now at a point when some of those clubs aren't necessarily in the elite... Yes, over time, that their status is such that they sit at the top of the food chain. And some of that has been through luck. Some of that has been through careful management and sensible investment. Some would argue there's been underhand tactics along the way. And yes, look, some of these clubs, you can see how they would feel that they have outgrown their national structure. But maybe if there had been a greater distribution of wealth within their national structure, that competition would be more competitive and they wouldn't currently find themselves in that position. And you wouldn't have a situation where perhaps the likes of Serie A is looking enviously at the Premier League and La Liga in terms of the money it's able to generate. Because ultimately, you know, they're a bit like, you know, Serie A was the big dog at one point in the not too distant past. And a bit like Skype ahead of the pandemic, they took their eye off the ball and were overtaken by
0: zoom and microsoft teams <laughs> uh, well, th- there's there's an uh, uh, <laughs> there's a metaphor that we we weren't expecting but the the, the way of dealing as, as as rory mentioned about things as a homogenous whole reflects not only in terms of the structure and, and yes american sports do have a closed shop but there is always the possibility of franchises moving to new mm. markets which is not reflected in the way that european football works in any way so that, that even though you can understand the American owners of some of these clubs thinking, I would like to have that model reflected here, That it's, it's not necessarily how it works. And there is one of them, the Arsenal owner, Stan Kroenke, who has moved his franchise from St. Louis to Los Angeles. So he knows that that's possible and he also knows that that's not possible in any European Super League. But also in terms of dealing of group, in groups as a homogenous whole, there has been completely universal outrage from fans groups who have the voice to be able to say that they are against this idea but i think is there not an understanding from these clubs that those fans don't necessarily represent either the biggest market in terms of the value but also the biggest amount of people who support their club they are relying on a, on a global fan base that will not object to this because they experience their club through different ways, through different means, and a lot of them are much, much younger who don't have that relationship that many do, for example, in this country who live within 5, 10 miles from their club, don't have a relationship not only with the club geographically, but also with the competitions to which they have been belonging all these years.
2: But is not fan culture something that makes football so popular globally that even if you don't live anywhere near close enough to the the team that you follow to go even occasionally, never mind regularly, that you feel part of, of, of a greater whole.
0: Yes, and it's exactly. That- but, those, but the way that those people experience their club is not the same. They will not object. This is, the, this is just a hypo- hypothetical yeah. uh, theory posited on behalf of what the clubs might be thinking and, and my brain. But they are suggesting, are they not, that they don't necessarily value those the opinions of those who are yes. objecting to it because the, the opinions of people who aren't objecting to it are much more numerable, and much yes, bigger my, geographically spread.
2: My point, Hugh, is that it is those who are vociferously against this who drive the fan culture that filters out around the west, rest of the world. Mm. And all that, we, we've we talked about this numerous times in the past, and we, we see that, that there is the value for the global fan base for the big clubs and that that, that support is as legitimate as the person who lives hundred yards away from the ground who has a season ticket. But it is those people who go. They might only be a small percentage of the mm. fan base and they might only be a small percentage of what drives the economy of that club. But they are absolutely critical to the spirit, to the sense of community, to that fan culture that makes it all possible. And without that, you don't have the, the flow out around the world of, of, of people that feel as though they are part of something greater. It, it just then becomes a shirt, and a product on television. I think you said in your piece, Rory, it becomes content. It isn't living and breathing in the same way if it doesn't have its grounding in the community. I'm not saying that the clubs can't survive without that, but that you do at at certain points the the balance in favour of the match going fan is is strengthened and in terms of
0: generating the fan culture that is one of the ways. And Rory, just to just back up on that point and and what you're going to say will have relevance to this too is is the gamble taken by the clubs that regardless of the initial outrage fans will always come, and that's taking them for granted. Yes, but that is their gamble.
1: I think that's probably more relevant than Steve's. Completely right that the that those. I have a bit of an issue, not an issue with the existence of the fan groups. I think the fan groups, by and large, do tremendous work and they're really important, uh, and occasionally they give me awards. And the and, the, and the, the, uh, fan
2: group, the fan groups, Rory, are no more representative of no. the whole than than a fan that lives on the other side of the world.
1: No, and this this, this is this has long been the problem that they and it, it's something we that I've written about before that that you take like the Monday night protests in Germany. What about the people? Who I asked someone, a really really nice guy from one of the one of the organised fan groups in Germany. You know, what about people who like work on Saturday afternoons? What if there is a contingent of fans out there for whom football is much more convenient on a Monday night? Like that, the world has changed since everyone plots off at you know twelve o'clock on a Saturday morning to, to go onto the ground. And he he was he kind of understood the question and he kind of considered it and gave it you know gave it the respect that you'd like to think any half decent question would deserve. And basically said, well, you know, maybe they should try a different sport. And you think, well, actually, that's, that's a really unconstructive an- answer. Like, you, it's not for you to say, not for any of us to say, that when I was young, football kicked off at this time, so it has to always kick off at this time. And one of the issues that, that fan activism in general has is that it's a, especially the large sort of umbrella groups, are not reflective of fans. They're reflective of their, the views of their members. And their members are generally a little bit older, they have a they have a kind of a view of football that's rooted in their in their own experience of of childhood, which we all have. That's why we're also resistant to change. That it feels like our game in a very personal way. That the way we experience it is the truest is the truest form of it. Um, and I think that there is an issue that needs to be explored a little bit on whether I think the BBC did a poll on on kind of reaction to a super league, in which there is there is a clear demographic schism between the young and the old. The older you get, the less you like it. And there's st- it's still a majority of fan of young fans are against it. But it's it's sort of thirty, thirty-five percent think it's quite a good idea. And and that's a significant proportion of people. So I think that's that's one thing that has to be factored in a little bit that just because the FSA or Fan Supporters Europe or or me or you or Steve or whoever or Henry Winter say it's terrible we're all i mean we're all middle-aged white men we don't get to speak for everyone that, that's that, there's been a lot of stuff about middle-aged white men not being able to speak for everyone over the last few years and it it, it that needs to apply to football too but the main thing i think that the, that the clubs if you think about it from the point of view of the owners they have seen football over the last 30 years change in innumerable ways they have forced through pretty much everything they wanted why on earth would they think there's a red line there is no, there, there has never previously been a red line it is possible that this is a step too far and that fan even if they, la- if they if they get it through if they launch it if they kick off in, in August 2022 and then I have to pause for the World Cup they 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 might find that the stadiums are empty that no one's watching on TV and it's a financial catastrophe and they, have to, they, all, they all have to restart in the conference or equivalent but th- there is literally no evidence to suggest that's the case there is there is plenty of evidence to suggest that if they go they will take fans with them maybe not all of them but enough enough to make it work
2: and, and that's why we should avoid being Luddites about it because things do change, things do move on. We saw that with the Premier League, even though this concept goes well, well beyond that. And I don't believe the parallels exist really because the Premier League was just a, a restructuring of the of the top division. There was still promotion and, and, and relegation. So the, the, the principles of competition remained, whereas that isn't the case here. And you can see why they would want to expand European competition, why they would want to have those games more often, even if you have to try and make people see sense and and understand that the reason that PSG against Bayern Munich over two legs was so captivating was because what was at stake in that moment in time, that it's not going to be like that every time they play each other if those two do become members of this uh, European Super League going forward. We have to accept that, that football's popularity will lead to those at the elite level of it, wanting more, wanting growth, wanting to expand even further. And we have to probably try and find a way to accommodate that. But it does feel as though the closed shop thing is a red line, especially if you consider consider that some of those involved. Arsenal needed the 97th minute to to draw one-all with relegation-threatened Fulham at the weekend. If you look at the fact that Juventus were beaten by Atalanta one of those who would be miles outside of, of qualifying for this sort of competition. And even take into account Manchester City, who ten years ago would have been peeking over the fence with absolutely mm-hmm. no hope of being part of this conversation. And now they're all of a sudden just, you know, a mere decade on, which is, you know, a, a smidge in time in terms of football history, they're they're one of the driving forces behind it.
1: Well so that's that that's that's the thing though, that you, you can quite rightly accuse the teams, the dozen breakaways of effectively pausing history at a random moment, saying, "Right, actually, this is this is where it ends. Twenty twenty-one. This is the natural culmination of football. We we're just gonna pull up pull up the ladder." But Rory, it's not but, just
2: one random moment. It's a series of random moments. Well, no, so they're, they, because they're actually picking. Yeah, y- you look at Arsenal and, and Spurs. Well, you, if you draw the line now, they sit outside it, and Leicester get in. If you pause it five years ago, AC Milan and Inter would have to accept that. Well, maybe you know, certainly not both of you. Yeah, yeah. It's we ten don't both of you.
0: But it's those vagaries that obviously they're trying to, to, yeah. to avoid, to, and and it, and that's the whole. And point. The, yeah, but but also, the, fluctu- yeah. the, the, the line criteria- is fluctuating. The, the, yeah, the, the no, they have. Standard, the, but they, they, the, they don't but the want criteria- the line to fluctuate. That's the whole and,
1: point. But the criteria aren't how well you're doing on the pitch. I mean, there was a lot of this yesterday that that you know all these teams had had bad results, but it's to do with global reach. That Arsenal, Arsenal have been basically irrelevant as as an elite European force for over a decade. They haven't won a title for 17 years. The yet but they are still hugely popular around the world There's, You know, they, they they command far more attention than Leicester Leicester would have to win several league titles over the next 10, 15, 20 years to catch up with them they, that, they are, Steve's right, they are they're kind of taking a, a series of random moments and be like alright well Arsenal were big in 2015 so we'll, we'll have them, Spurs were massive in 1961 so we better take them but to an extent the, that's what the objections are as well you are basically saying that the form of football we have now is the is the finite form that this is this is what it should be this is what it has to look like in perpetuity and that to be honest that's just not how football's ever worked football is always changing its, its competition format someone made this point to me over over email in the emails that we send out after the on the, um, on the on the newsletter that I do that that football changes constantly the World Cup is always changing the Euros are always changing football changes a lot of those changes aren't for the better but to be fair, pretty, pretty much all of them, after a while, we just sort of we just sort of absorb. So there is a danger that by criticising the Super League, by, by firing back against it, we are kind of doing the same thing out of much better intentions as the, the teams that are, that are plotting. And the other thing that I want to, want to say is that I think one of the annoyances for me is that there is a way of presenting this idea and making it far more legitimate. And that is, why, why on earth are you turning your back on Galatasaray and Fenerbahachie? I mean, I know when we did this, that chinch got really crossed as we had FC Copenhagen in there but you're disenfranchising huge markets huge, and in the case of Scandinavia massively rich markets why are you doing that? Why not? would it not be better almost to say look, we need to have I get that the owners want not just to make the owners don't just want to make more money they want to understand they want to have more stable money that's the key, that's the really key bit it's not just here's this massive headline figure because they, they understand that that creates more to an extent creates more insecurity what they want is to be able to control costs much more effectively that's what they envy in, in baseball and the NFL that the fact that they know what the outground's are going to be that everything's limited they want to be able to say we can every year yeah. be assured of this money so that we don't end up a billion quid in the hole as Barcelona are or with massive debts as Inter have or, or you know defaulting on loans as, as and getting taken over by a vulture hedge fund as happened to AC Milan I get that but I don't get why you wouldn't do it in such a way that you at least enfranchise more of Europe. And, 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 also, and make it a more sort of yeah, universal thing.
0: They're they're attempting to do that by not limiting costs, by making sure more money comes in to no, no, allow no, no. them if to you, make those decisions. But I uh, no no, I appreciate that they, they are they are looking for a framework which does that. But what I mean is it that in, in its very essence, if if Barcelona are a hundred million whole, what they want to to do is to fill that with solidarity payments from a European super league so it so it reduces the jeopardy of any of those financial decisions going forward even if they do want to regulate but costs they do. And outgoings yes no that's what i'm saying and that? i think
1: that's central yeah. to it i think that, the, that the idea of
0: Yes, no, I agree. But that, that is not necessarily the, genesis, the original genesis of it at this moment in time yeah, because of yeah. the pandemic making, making it so difficult for all these elite clubs with all these, these black holes financially. But um, we, we haven't got time to talk about how the pandemic affects loads of other clubs and perhaps they didn't necessarily read the room uh, quite well enough uh, at this moment to consider that. But in amongst the huge amount of hubris
2: involved here, surely the idea that those at the cur- who are currently sitting at the top of the food chain, in terms of the wealth available to them, yet are still mismanaging that wealth. Mm. Would suddenly be much better at managing wealth if they had an extra three hundred and fifty million pounds of it? That doesn't make any sense at all. No, they'll no. just they'll just get that. Surely that that money will be mis because yes, they they, they will have a greater income, but their expen their expenses no, will go th- up as well. Th-
1: this is where the cost controls come in. So I think it's fifty. Is it transfers and salaries have to be fifty five percent of income? That That is a mechanism designed to stop football's basic, what is essentially football's in, inflationary death spiral. That If you look at every point where football started to kind of coalesce around a level of spending, around 2000-2001, sort of it was, in England particularly, it was all sort of starting to cool down. ITV Digi- Digital went bust, which was hugely significant. And then suddenly Abramovich comes in and blows it all out of the water. Similar thing happens in, tw- in 2009 with Man City. I'm not blaming Abramovich or Abu Dhabi for that, but... But it had a knock-on effect and what the what the big grand old houses of European football have found is that they have to keep up that there is this there is this pressure to keep up with this level of spending that is deeply unhealthy if you look at the, the, the big thing for them about this plan is not only that you get three and a half billion quid or whatever it is to to fill in your big your black holes to to kind of cover your costs for your infrastructure all that stuff you also get to say there can never be another team that comes in and changes the rules of engagement. And the problem I have with all of that is that, and where I think that you have to not, we should be blaming the owners of the clubs, obviously, yeah. because the owners of the clubs are, are, the, are, the, are the avaricious ones. They're the ones who are looking at this to try and fix it so that they, they make money. They don't, they, they get all the rewards, none of the risk. That not is their the
0: institutions fault. themselves.
1: Not the institutions themselves. But we also have to, to look at ourselves, at the leads at the ECA, at UEFA, all these people are now being held up as the great guardians of football and being told, hold the line, hold the line. For the last 30 years, they have waved all of this through. Where the did they think it was gonna end up? Genuinely, where did you think this was gonna go? Because this is the obvious conclusion. It might not be be right, I don't like it, you don't like it. Basically, nobody likes it. But this is the natural conclusion of everything you've done by being ownership neutral. By changing the Champions League as soon as the big clubs wanted it, by making every sort of allowance under the sun to keep the money rolling into you, this is this was always going to happen and you can't say you weren't warned.
0: And that is why, as you consider all the the criticism of these plans from all parts of football, that when you hear it, you consider where that is coming from and why they might be saying it. Now, these arguments might be framed in the love of football and the protection of a game that has been going for 150 years. They may well be honestly held. Mm -hmm. But... Just remember, there are those who will not like this simply because it does not protect a status quo, which has been protecting their cash flow. And so if there is a situation in the future where they can see that not happening, clearly they are going to rail against it. Now, why are they railing against it for the protection of the game? Yes, maybe. But if they don't also honestly say, it's because I want to hold on to what I've got, I don't want to see my income reduced because of it, they should be more honest to say that that is the truth too. It might only be a part of it, but it is a consistent part of it, and it is something that we've discussed over and over again about self-interest and the arguments around self-interest. So we ask you to consider that when you when you hear all these, these rants and look at these statements, just consider where is that coming from and do they actually have part of the same moral deficiencies as those that they are complaining about making these moves uh, we'll leave that there because uh, that is probably a wider argument it was a point that we only wanted to make um at the uh, at the end of the podcast because we didn't want you to think that we were being cynical enough to make it a major part of everything that we've said um for issues of competitive balance or competitive imbalance uh that the, the the West Brom theory that uh, Rory has. Uh, You can not only read uh, Rory's pieces in perpetuity, but also the piece out on Monday. But uh, we talked about it before on Set Piece Menu on 173, 193, 215 and 222 as well.
1: These are your hymns for the day.
0: Please, We've sung one for you live, now go and do your research via these others. How many um, Hail Marys do they need
2: to do as well? Can you so many sure? <laughs> Hail
0: Marys, so many Hail Marys. If you know it off by heart, you can start now. Um, so thank you very much for finding us an extra space in, in your week. Uh, we're back on Wednesday. Uh, a little later on Wednesday than normal as it happens so our apologies in advance for that but we will be uh, with you Wednesday lunchtime early afternoon we will consider any emails on this subject then too you have already been sending them in so thank you uh, for that we did say 15 minutes you'll not be surprised to know that we've done more than that because we like the sound of our own voices just as much as 12 signatories to this idea like cash we will um, do that on Wednesday then so in the meantime keep your correspondence coming in to gmail.com. please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Stephen, and Rory, and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu at full length for you to enjoy very soon indeed.